This is a Cato Special Podcast. I'm Caleb Brown. It was a stunning victory for a broadly free market candidate for president in Argentina. Economist Javier Malay will take office in December. Cato's Daniel Raisbeck says the economic program of Mr. Millet, dollarization, free trade, large cuts to government are promising. And comparisons of Mr. Millet to the performative antics of former President Trump are, at best, highly superficial. Javier Malay, uh, the incoming president of Argentina, uh, has been compared to Donald Trump. He has been called far right. Uh, how fair is that? I think it's... Uh very superficial comparison. Uh, you do have to take into account that Millet himself hasn't discouraged those comparisons and has even encouraged them with both Trump and uh, former Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro. But if you look beyond the surface and the style, which is uh, maybe vulgar and, and charismatic and some would say populist, uh, if you look at the policies that Millet is offering for Argentina, they're completely different. They're, in fact, the total opposite of Trump like economic nationalism and protectionism and tariffs. Millet, on the contrary, he wants to get rid of the central bank, get rid of the national currency, dollarize the economy, and unilaterally open Argentina to world trade. So it's completely opposite to, to what Trump wanted to do. And also, uh, Bolsonaro is very much an economic nationalist, even though he had to come to terms also with a, with a strong libertarian movement in Brazil. But I think it's it's very different. And also, on a personal level, well, Trump is a real estate tycoon. Bolsonaro is a career army officer turned into a career politician, whereas Millet is a classical liberal economist who has read thoroughly in, in the Austrian tradition. So I think it's just very different. Let's talk about trade specifically because he's, he's you know, s- sounds good to me when, when I uh, hear what he has said about trade. But this notion of, in a sense, unilateral openness with respect to global trade that's all that would that would almost be unprecedented in the globe not really if you some of the latvia the baltic countries uh, did that especially estonia after the fall of the of the berlin wall so there is a president perhaps in in small countries you might think of uh, perhaps a country like hong kong as well so maybe it would be unprecedented in in latin america and there's the added problem that uh, Argentina is part of Mercosur, which is uh, basically a, a tariff union comprised of Argentina, Uruguay, Brazil, and Paraguay. So in theory, none of those countries can trade with the rest of the world without doing so in, in agreement in, in unison. But I also think that's one of the changes that's coming because Millet's election is important not only for Argentina, but for all of Latin America uh, in terms of opening for trade, but also in terms of dollarization. Because Dollarized countries until now, there have been three officially, uh, and they've, they're relatively small countries, Panama, Ecuador, and El Salvador. And dollarization has been very successful in those countries for different reasons, but it's come under the radar because they are small countries, whereas Argentina dollarizing, uh, the whole world is paying attention now. And uh, if it's successful, and I think there's no reason why it shouldn't be successful, it's not going to be so easy to to ignore that. And I think it's going to have an effect well beyond Argentina. Our colleague Gabriela Calderon has talked about uh, the impact of dollarization in Ecuador. And uh, one of the chief features that she likes to point to is it's, it simply constrains the government. It just prevents a lot of mischief uh, within government because the government doesn't directly control uh, money. Is that the chief feature that uh, Mr. Millet is pointing to for 
uh, dollarizing, or is it just let's get inflation under control? Yeah, definitely. Well, dollarization has several advantages. Uh, it pretty much ends um, triple-digit inflation and even double-digit inflation. In fact, the dollarized countries in Latin America have the lowest inflation rates by far in the last uh, 20 years, and, and Panama has been dollarized since 1904, so it's, so it's a lot longer uh, time period. Uh, you also have uh, lower interest rates um, and you end the depreciation uh, devaluation problem because in every country in Latin America, for instance, in Colombia, where I'm from, there's a complete obsession with uh, the dollar value relative to the national currency in terms of the last day or the last week or the last month. I was in Ecuador last week when I, and I came back and in Ecuador, it's dollarized and nobody cares. Nobody's worried about the value of the dollar because they're dollarized. So they got rid of that problem. They got rid of inflation. It doesn't solve all problems. It doesn't give you uh, economic growth. Uh, but you can have that. Panama has that with uh, a more uh, approach, more focused towards economic liberty that Ecuador hasn't had, but they could have it and Argentina could have it as well. And maybe from the, from a U.S. perspective, it's a bit difficult to understand because uh, we complain so much about the dollar and, and how much value it's lost. And, and that's true. But I would respond to that, um, that people who say that really haven't experienced a Latin America type devaluation scenario in which your currency is losing lots of value against the dollar itself. So in that case, it's a lot better to have the dollar. And in the end, Panama, for instance, I think, I think has the ideal system where there is no uh, legal tender under the constitution. So in theory, they have monetary freedom. It just so happens that an overwhelming majority of people choose the dollar. And if you have monetary freedom, they will continue to choose the dollar while the dollar is the global reserve currency. And if that changes, then you can change currencies. But the important thing is not to force a currency upon the people. Among other uh, policy uh, preferences that uh, Mr. Malay has, ending state media. Uh, people compare him to Donald Trump. And I, I imagine that uh, Donald Trump, if if he were in charge of it, probably would really like a state-run media. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. And another good point with respect to Trump is that actually Trump's policies, economically at least, are beyond the tax cuts, which I think were good, even though they were unfunded, so that's a bad aspect. But Trump's policies are more similar to Argentine Peronism, uh, far more similar than what Millet is, is proposing. And, and I think, you know, the U.S. media is just so obsessed with Trump that anyone who wins whether it's in Brazil or in or in Argentina, then it's the, it's the that version, that country's version of Trump, uh, anywhere. And I just think that's maybe maybe it's worth it to study the history of that country. And in Argentina, it's interesting because they had a very strong classical liberal tradition in the 19th century that's reflected in the 1853 constitution, which is based upon the ideas of Juan Bautista Alberdi, who was a great um, Argentine uh, classical liberal. And that's why they were so prosperous, uh, especially from around 1880 to uh, 1916 or 1920. They were, as it's been said in the last few days, one of the richest countries in the world. And then they embraced nationalism and then they embraced Peronism, which is uh, the, the most uh, corporatist ideology that we've had in, in Latin America. And they've had eight decades of, of Peronism. And so this is a rejection of that. And I think really you should focus on Argentine history and, and, and on that type of dynamic and not say, oh, it's Trump or, or Bolsonaro, because I think, as I said, I think it ends up being very superficial. To the extent that uh, Mr. Millet is saying things that you and I like about trade and uh, economic engagement uh, more broadly and uh, the level of regulation that uh, Argentina has had to deal with for so long, um, he can't do it alone. 
And uh, right now, at least, that seems to be a pretty significant challenge to uh, any effort that me he might undertake uh, to do anything that he can't. He simply cannot do uh, unilaterally as president. Right. Well, in those terms, it was a good thing that Millet didn't win outright because if he had won in the first round of voting in in October, then he would have had exactly that problem that you're describing. But since he didn't, and in fact, he came in second place in the first round and he went to a runoff against Sergio Massa, who's the current finance minister, he had to um, officialize an alliance with former president Mauricio Macri and her candidate who lost in the first round, uh, Patricia Bullrich. And uh, therefore, Millet really won as part of a coalition, including their party, which is uh, a significant party in the Argentine Congress. So I think in that sense, he has... um, a lot more support in Congress now than uh, had he won, let's say, around a month ago. So in that sense, I think even that argument um, is is not as strong as it could have been a few weeks ago. Daniel Raceback is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute Center for Global Liberty and Prosperity. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please. And thank you for listening. <laughs>